we are continuing our study on the book of Romans entitled God's Righteousness. At this point, we are now in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. And this section shows us God's righteousness through the people of Israel. As mentioned last time, we can think of chapters 9, 10, and 11 as a three-part series. This is the trilogy about Israel's past, present, and future. Romans 9 talk about Israel's past. Why is Israel not saved? Because not all Israel are true Israel. Not everyone in Israel was chosen by God. That is the divine sovereignty part of salvation. On the other hand, Romans chapter 10 talks about Israel's present. Why is Israel not saved? Because they chose to reject the gospel. They rejected the righteousness that comes by faith. Instead, Israel chose to pursue righteousness by works or by obeying the law. And Israel's choice shows us the human responsibility side of salvation. And today, we'll learn about God's future plan for Israel. And our passage is found in Romans chapter 11, God's faithfulness to Israel. In this chapter, Paul will answer the important question, did God reject his people, Israel? This is an important question, and it's a continuation of what Paul talked about back in Romans chapter 9 and 10. God has chosen Israel to be his people, but how come so few of the Israelites have been saved? And another thing, how come the Christian church has become predominantly Gentiles? Has God canceled his promise to Israel? Has the church totally replaced the Jews? These are the essential questions that Paul needs to answer because what is at stake here is God's righteousness and faithfulness. Again, the main question is, did God reject his people Israel? Paul's answer is no. God has not rejected Israel. He remains faithful to his people. And Paul will explain his answer in these three arguments. First, Israel's rejection is not total. Second, Israel's rejection is not final. And third, Israel's rejection is part of God's plan that is eternal. So let's look at it one by one. Israel's rejection is not total. Paul says, God has not completely rejected Israel, and Paul gives three reasons to support his claim. The first, it's Paul's personal proof. Verse 1, I ask then, Paul says, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul presents himself as the first evidence as Exhibit A. He says, I am a living proof that God has not given up on Israel. You see, I am an Israelite. Yes, I rejected the gospel before, and I used to be an enemy of the gospel and of Christ, and yet God saved me. So how can you say that God has given up on Israel if he did not give up on me? So there is still hope for the Jewish nation. And Paul gives a theological proof as well. Paul says, God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. The word foreknew here means that God has already chosen from the beginning who would be saved and who would believe. And that's what we learned back then in chapter 9. Paul then gives a biblical proof and he used the story of Elijah based on 1 Kings chapter 19. Verse 2 to 4 says, don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altar. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 
Elijah was a prophet of Israel, and during his time, King Ahab of Israel was influenced by his pagan wife, Jezebel. So King Ahab turned away from the Lord and worshipped Baal. And in the same way, Ahab and Jezebel influenced Israel to rebel against God. And to further promote Baal worship, what did they do? They persecuted and killed many of God's prophets. And Elijah thought that all Israel had turned away from God except him. And Elijah was convinced that no one else remained faithful to the Lord. But God corrected and encouraged Elijah. And he said, Elijah, you're not alone. I have preserved 7,000 more in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal. And they too are my people and they are still loyal to me. Again, what's the point? Paul says that God preserved a remnant during the time of Elijah in the Old Testament. And in the same way, God is also working to, present or to preserve a remnant in the present. Verse 5 tells us, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. The word present here refers to the time of Paul in the first century. But it also applies to our time today. The point is God is continuously preserving a remnant among Israel today in the first in the 21st century. Again, what's a remnant? A remnant is a small group of people out from a larger group of people. And as mentioned last time, a remnant represents God's mercy and faithfulness to his people. During World War II, Adolf Hitler wanted to exterminate all of the Jews and around six million Jews were killed, but God kept a remnant for Israel. And in 1947, under President Manuel Rojas, the Philippines cast the tiebreaker vote at the United Nations to separate Israel from Palestine. And on May 14, 1948, Israel was reestablished as a Jewish nation state. And so we praise God for our country's opportunity to participate in that historic event. And the point is, God is at work to preserve a remnant for his people, Israel, because he is merciful and because God is faithful. Now note how Paul described this remnant, verses 5 to 6. A remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. The word grace here was repeated four times. And Paul emphasized that God chose the remnant out of his mercy and out of his grace and not because of the work of Israel. In other words, God did not choose Israel or Israel's remnant because they deserve it or because they earn it through their obedience to the law. Instead, God chose a remnant, again, out of his mercy and faithfulness. And here's the point. God did not reject Israel, but he remains faithful. God displayed his faithfulness through the remnant that he chose by grace and not by works. So even though Israel as a nation had rejected God by rejecting Christ, God did not totally reject Israel, and he continued to be faithful with his people. And that is why Israel's rejection is not total. There's still a small group of people whom God saved and whom God has chosen, and that group is where Paul is also included. Now, in verses 7 to 10, Paul continues this logical argument. If God chose some people, then it follows that others were not chosen. And so what's the reason for that? says, God elected some, but some were hardened, as verse 7 tells us. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain, but the elect among them did, but the others were hardened. Again, there are groups, uh, two groups of people, God's elect and some that God hardened. 
Again, this section is related to what we've learned back in Romans chapter 9. Remember, none of us deserve to be saved, and all of us have sinned against God, and the only thing that we deserve is God's wrath and judgment. Now, God chose his people, the elect, not because they deserve it, not because they, they earn it, but God chose to save them out of his mercy, grace, and faithfulness. But how about the others? How about those who are not saved? How about those who were hardened? Again, God hardens some like Pharaoh because he is just and fair. God is just doing what he is supposed to do. God is not being unjust or unfair. When God hardens someone, God is simply allowing that person to continue on their rebellion and disobedience. And just like the people of Israel, they remain stubborn and proud. They choose to pursue righteousness through works and rejected righteousness by faith. So what did God do? God just allowed them to go their way and God punished them for their sin and rebellion by hardening their hearts and, heart and, and um, giving them um, a spiritual blindness because they chose not the works of God through faith. And that is what Paul highlighted in verse 8 to 10. Verse 8, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stopper, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. In verse 8, Paul quoted Deuteronomy 29.4 and Isaiah 29 verse 10. And in verse 9, Paul quoted Psalm 69.22. So Paul quoted three Bible verses here, one from the law of Moses, one from the prophets, and one from the writings. And these three represents the entire Old Testament scripture. So what's the point? Paul is saying God is just being faithful to his word. God already warned his people that, and through Moses and Isaiah, he said if they choose to remain proud and remain in their rebellion against God, he will give them a spirit of blindness. And so when God hardens others, he is just displaying his faithfulness and he is just punishing the people according to what their sin deserves. That is the point that Paul is making here. So friends, this is a warning to all of us. Let us not harden our hearts. Do not harden your hearts and remain in rebellion. Instead, respond to God by faith. Remember, the more you disobey God, the more you will experience his judgment and his punishment of spiritual blindness. So may the Lord help us. Now let's go to the second argument. Israel's rejection is not final. Israel's rejection is not final. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Paul says that what has happened to Israel is not the final voice for their story. Yes, Israel stumbled and missed the salvation that God offered them, but there is still hope for Israel. And we will look at that part later. Again, the point is, Israel stumbled, but there is still hope for them. And now Paul says, there's a hidden blessing behind Israel's failure and unbelief. And the first is the stage of Israel's transgression. Verse 11 tells us, rather because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. What was Israel's transgression? They rejected Christ, and instead of receiving Christ as their Messiah and King, they put Jesus to death on the cross. And what happened as a result of that transgression? The salvation comes to the Gentiles. 
And you see, God used Israel's rejection to open the way for Jesus to die for the sins of the whole world. In other words, what was meant for evil, God used it for good. And through Christ's death on the cross, God fulfilled his promise to bless all the families of the earth through Abraham, which is, who is Israel's forefather. And that is the first stage. And the next stage is Israel's envy. Israel's envy. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. After Israel rejected God's salvation, God turned to the Gentiles and gave them the blessing of salvation. For what reason? To provoke Israel to envy, as Paul says in verse 13 to 14. says, I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my people to envy and save some of them. God appointed Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And what's Paul's mission? It's to preach the gospel of salvation to the Gentiles. And one reason he does that is to make his fellow Jews envious. And for what reason? So that some of the Jews might be saved. Now, this concept of envy ordinarily is used in a negative way, but envy is rooted in, his, in, in something that is not necessarily sinful. Envy is rooted in a want or desire that is not necessarily sinful. For example, you admire someone who is good in basketball and you say, wow, that person plays basketball well. I want to be like him. Or perhaps you know someone who is a godly husband or a godly wife. And you say, wow, I want to be like that person. I want to be a godly wife. I want to be a godly husband. Or perhaps you know someone whose prayers are always answered. And you say, I would like to be that person. God always answers his or her prayers. And that is exactly what Paul is hoping for in, in which the Jews hopefully would want um, the salvation that, or the blessing that the Gentiles are already enjoying regarding their salvation. And that is what Paul is after. Now, when you look at the Old Testament, God set apart Israel to be a light unto the nations. God's initial plan was to bless Israel significantly so that other Gentile nations would envy them and their jealousy would lead people to turn to the God of Israel. Let's look at Isaiah and Zechariah. Isaiah 45:14. Thus says the Lord, the wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other, no God besides him. In Zechariah 8:23. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. That's the vision that God has his people or for his people Israel. But sadly, Israel remained proud and rejected God. And so God turned the tables. Instead of God blessing Israel, the blessing went to the Gentiles so that um, the Israel would be provoked to envy and God would make Israel jealous. The Lord allowed the Gentiles to enjoy the covenant blessing that Israel was supposed to enjoy. And that is what Paul is working at. He preaches the gospel to the Gentiles and he wants to see that the Gentiles would envy and someday really desire the blessing from God in which the Gentiles are now enjoying. And hopefully that would lead to the third point or the third stage, which is Israel's 
repentance. Israel's repentance. Verse 26, and in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This stage will come in the future. Israel will come to repentance and all Israel will be saved. Now, what do we mean by all Israel? It does not mean that every Jew will be saved. Instead, all Israel is that many Jews will turn to God. Those many are God's chosen people according to his divine sovereignty. Now, some Bible scholars think that the salvation of Israel will be a large-scale, last-minute revival among the Jewish people in the last days. But others believe that it could be a slow and steady growth of Jews coming to faith until such time many Jews reach a certain number before the second coming of Christ. Both interpretations are possible, but the point is, Israel's rejection is not final. Yes, Israel is hardened today, but it is not forever. And because of this truth, Paul says that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come not only for Israel, but also for the Gentiles. Look at verse 12 and 15. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Paul says, imagine what would happen if Israel would fully accept the salvation that God offers to them. Imagine what would happen if Israel accepted Jesus Christ as their king and their Messiah. That is something that we could hope for and look forward to because the best is yet to come. And now after explaining the hidden blessing of Israel's unbelief, Paul then gives this warning to the Gentile believers in Rome. Paul said, yes, Israel rejected God and the blessing came to you, Gentiles, but here's a warning for all of us. Don't be proud. Don't be proud. Do not consider yourself superior to the Jews. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. And do not be ignorant, and do not be conceited. Now, why did Paul give this rebuke? Because you see, by that time Paul wrote to the church in Rome, the church has become predominantly Gentiles. And that is what was happening back then also in the other Christian churches. And the result, some Gentiles started to become arrogant. They started looking down on the Jews. They persecuted them, and they even hate hated them and discriminated against the Jews. And some Gentiles were already thinking, the Jews are out, we are in. The church, the Christian church, the Gentile church has now replaced the Jewish nation. But Paul corrected their wrong mindset. Paul urges them not to be proud, but to consider. And what should they consider? As Gentile believers, we should consider our beginning. And Paul says we are to consider Israel's ending, and we are to consider God's character. First, Paul tells them not to be proud, but to consider their beginning. Verse 17 to 18, if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in, and among others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. Paul here used a metaphor of an engrafted branch. And to help us understand this section, here are the meaning of the symbols that Paul used in this passage. The cultivated olive tree are the true believers. The branches that were broken off are the unbelieving Jews. The wild olive shoots are the believing Gentiles. 
The nourishing sap is the salvation, and the olive root is the covenant blessings that God gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here is what Paul is saying to the gentle church in Rome, and here is what he is saying to us today. Don't be proud, but tremble. Do not be arrogant, and do not be conceited. You are not part of the original tree. We are not part of the original olive tree. Yes, we have been grafted in, but it doesn't mean that we have replaced Israel. God has just added, at, added us to his people. So let us not be proud and let us not look down on the Jews that have been cut off. Remember, we do not support the root. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. And Paul says, don't forget the spiritual blessing that we are enjoying right now because of the Jews. So friends, let us remember God's blessing came to us because of the Jewish people. And as Christians, let us not look down on the Jews. Let us not be anti-Jewish or anti-Semitic. Remember, we have a Jewish Bible and our Messiah is a Jewish Messiah. And salvation comes from the Jews. So let us be humble and not be proud. And let us be grateful for the Jewish nation. And may we not forget that. Secondly, Paul tells us not to be proud, but consider Israel's ending. Verse 19 to 24, you will say then, the branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And if you do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut off of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to the nature were grafted in a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will this, the natural branches, be grafted in to their own olive tree? This is a complex text, but Paul is saying the Jewish were cut off because they chose not to believe. They were unsaved because it's their deliberate choice. But on the other hand, we as Gentiles, we were saved because we chose to believe by faith. But then, what should we do? Should we be proud? Of course not. We should not be proud. Paul says, remember, Israel has hope. Yes, they were broken off because they have rejected God's offer of salvation, but God is not yet finished with them. The offer of salvation is still um, open to the Jews. And when they choose to believe in Christ, God can graft them back in to the original olive tree. And that is what verse 23 tells us. If they do not persist in unbelief, if they chose to believe in the salvation that God offers by faith through Christ, they will be grafted in, for God is able to do that again. And thirdly, Paul says, do not be proud, but consider God's character. Verses 20 to 22. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in this kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Paul reminded the gentle Christians who God is. And here is what he said. The standard that God used for Israel is the same standard that God will use for the Gentiles. God is impartial and he does not show favoritism. In other words, God is consistent in his righteousness and his faithfulness, and he used the same standard both for the Jews and the Gentiles. God punishes the proud and the stubborn and the rebellious, but God shows kindness to the humble, obedient, and faithful. 
And therefore, let us not be arrogant, but let us tremble with fear before God. Let us fear the Lord and take him seriously, for God does not show favoritism. So may the Lord help us. Now let's go to the final argument of Paul. Israel's rejection is part of God's plan that is eternal. Verses 25 to 27. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Paul says, Israel's rejection is not the final chapter in their story. Instead, Israel's rejection is part of a larger story that is part of God's eternal plan and purpose. And what is that plan? God wants to save the Gentiles as well. Yes, Israel rejected God, and God then turned to the Gentiles to save them, but please don't misunderstand. God saving the Gentiles is not part of God's plan B. It is not an afterthought. You see, from the beginning, God's plan A is to save both the Jews and the Gentiles. You, would, you, you could uh, check that in Genesis 12 when God promised Abraham. He said, I will bless you and all the nations will be blessed through you. So in God's mind, he wants to save the Gentiles already from the very beginning. But the outworking of that plan requires a sequence. And we know how that sequence came about, as Paul tells us. God first offered the salvation to the Jews. But what did the Jews do? They rejected the salvation that God offered. And so God then turned to the Gentiles. And then the Gentiles were now saved. And then when the fullness of the number of Gentiles has come, then God would then turn to Israel and save them. God will close the circle and then save both Israel and the Gentiles. That's the whole plan. And now, why has God gone through those intricate scheme of saving the Gentiles first and then Israel and then doing all these difficult things? You see, this is part of God's original plan. And his plan is to also reveal his faithfulness and highlight his great mercy. God did this to highlight his great mercy and to reveal his faithfulness. Verses 28 to 29. It says, As far as the gospel is concerned, the Jews are the enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are love on account of the patriarchs, for God's gift and his call are irrevocable. Verse 30 to 32. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. It's amazing in this verses 32 to 33 how many times Paul emphasized it is because of God's mercy. It is because of his mercy, his mercy. Again, the point is God did all of these things to save both the Jews and the Gentiles. He did this to reveal his faithfulness and the greatness of his mercy. But not only that, God also did that to reveal the depths of his wisdom and the greatness of his glory. As Paul says in the closing doxology, he gave these words of praise, verses 33 to 36. Of the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgment and his paths beyond tracing out, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay him, for from him 
and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's take a closer look at this beautiful doxology wherein Paul praised God in different ways. Paul said, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Paul says, God knows everything that there is to know. How unsearchable his judgment in his paths beyond tracing out. Paul says that God makes his plans that we don't know and that we don't understand. You see, there are mysteries in our, that our little minds cannot really comprehend. And that includes the mystery of the divine sovereignty and human responsibility when it comes to salvation. Both are true, but we can't fully grasp it with our limited mind. Only God has judgment that is beyond us. And his judgment are unsearchable and his paths beyond tracing out. And Paul says, who has known the mind of the Lord? It means that no one can fully understand God. Or who has been his counselor? It means that no one can counsel or instruct God. Or who has given to God that God should repay him? Paul says no one can claim that God owes them. You see, everything that we receive is from his grace and from his mercy. And then Paul ended and closes with a high note of praise in verse 36. For from him... Through him and for him are all things. For from him, God is the source of all things. And through him, God is the sustainer of all things. He is the reason why everything in the universe continues to exist. And for him are all things. God is the supreme purpose for all things. And he is the end goal of creation. He is the Alpha, but he is also the Omega. And because of all these things, what should we say then? May we pray and say this prayer of praise that Paul said, To him be the glory forever. Amen. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now as we close, let's go to our summary and application. As we look at this very complex passage in Romans chapter 11, here is something that Paul gives us. In this chapter, Paul answers this important question. Did God reject his people, Israel? The answer is no. God did not reject his people, but he remains faithful to them. God displayed his faithfulness through the remnant he has chosen by grace and not by works. And we also learned that Israel's rejection is not final. Israel's rejection is not total. And Israel's rejection is part of God's plan that is eternal. Now, how should we apply the things that we've learned today let me give you these application points for you to consider. The first, be humble. Let us be humble. Remember, God save us not because we deserve it. God save us not because we earn it. But God save us out of his mercy, out of his grace, out of his faithfulness. So let us not be proud. Instead, let us be grateful for God's goodness to us. That's the first. The next is be hopeful. Remember, God is faithful. He will fulfill every word and every promise that he made. So let us hold on to God and let us wait upon him. I don't know where you are right now or what you're going through, but it, this is something that we can know, that God's word is trustworthy, that God's promises is faithful, and he is faithful, and he will do everything in his power according to his ways and in his time. He will fulfill his word up to the last letter. So let us hold on to God and let us be hopeful. And for those of us who are, who are uh, asking a question, how about the salvation of the unsaved? Again, God is faithful. 
there are no hopeless cases with God. Just look at the Apostle Paul. Paul was an enemy of the gospel. Paul hated Christ, but God saved him out of his mercy, out of his grace. And so there is still hope for the unsaved. So let us not give up. Let us not give up praying for those, our loved ones who are yet to know Christ. Let us not stop sharing the gospel to others. And also, let us continue to pray for the people of Israel so that they may see and hear the gospel. Let us pray that God would open their eyes and for Israel to really accept God and embrace Jesus as their Lord, their Savior, and their King. And finally, let us bow down to God and worship. Let us bow down to God and worship. You see, as I reflect on God's dealing with Israel and the Gentiles, I realize one thing. God is like a chess super grandmaster. You see, many times we don't understand God or why God makes certain moves because he plays a very high level and complex game. His actions are difficult to comprehend. And as God positions his pieces, he advances his pieces and he advances his rook, his bishop, his knights, and even he sacrifices his queen in the process. But in the end, he is able to deliver that checkmate and win in the end. And what is that checkmate? It's the salvation of the Jews and the salvation of the Gentiles. That is how God great is. His ways and his works are higher than us. His wisdom is far greater than ours. So brothers and sisters, let us bow down to God and worship. Let us not forget the greatness of who God is. The greatness of his mercy, the greatness of his grace is far beyond what we can ask or imagine. And so let us honor God for his wisdom and his faithfulness. And let us bow down before him in worship for God is great and for God is good and he redeems his people for our good and for his glory. So may the Lord help us. Let us be humble. Let us be hopeful. Let us bow down to God in worship. Let us not forget that God is faithful. God did not reject Israel but he remains faithful and he displayed his faithfulness through the remnant that he has chosen by grace, not by works. Our God is faithful. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you, O Lord, for you are the God whose ways are higher, whose wisdom is greater, but whose love is far greater and far richer and your mercies are far greater, O God, than we can ever ask or imagine. Thank you that in your wisdom that you have chose to save us and to save your people, Israel. Lord, we do not deserve the grace that we are experiencing right now, but out of your kindness, out of your goodness, you chose to love us despite our sinfulness, despite our rebellion. So thank you, O God. Help us to humble ourselves before you, not to look down to those who are unsaved, not to look down to those who have rejected you, because we were once were in their position. But help us, Lord, to be grateful for your faithfulness and mercy. But at the same time, help us, Lord God, to plead for their cause, to pray for our unsaved loved ones, to pray for the unsaved people of Israel, and help us, O oh Lord, to really intercede for them so that they would, that you would open their eyes and that you would call them, Lord God, and draw them near to you and reveal yourself to them. And may they choose to obey you and embrace Christ as their Lord and Savior and be saved. Help us, O God, to bow down before you in worship, for you are good, gracious, merciful, and faithful. We pray for our country, O Lord. Continue to watch over us. Help us, O God, to 
be truly a Christian nation. Open the eyes of the Filipino people. Help us to understand your gospel and help us to understand the good news that we have in Christ. And may you enable us to experience a life that is fully in you and through Christ, to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to experience that righteousness. And Lord, we pray that you help our country, our leaders, as we navigate through the challenges. We pray for President Bongbong Marcos and his cabinet members as we face the challenges of the recent um, damage by the earthquake. And we pray for those areas that needed help and uh, rehabilitation continue to help us, Lord God, both in the private sector and the public sector to work together as one country to, to rise up again from this uh, calamity. We pray, O oh Lord, for our families. We pray, O oh God, for our relationship. Strengthen our marriages. Strengthen our relationship with our kids and with our family members. Let love and faithfulness be the one to, to live uh, within our family. And help us, Lord God, to experience the love of Christ so that we can love others and extend the grace that we have received from you as we serve one another, as we forgive each other. We pray, O oh Lord God, for our church. Continue to help us, O oh Lord, to experience um, your greatness, your faithfulness. And may we have that boldness to proclaim you, O oh God, to, to the ends of the earth, to proclaim your faithfulness, to proclaim your mighty works and mighty deeds. May you enable us, Lord God, to work um, and to serve you uh, with joy, with patience, with endurance. For those among us who are sick, we pray for your healing, for your grace. We pray for your... Uh, healing mercy. Enable us, O God, to experience your wholeness, experience your favor, and we pray that you use our testimony, O God, to, um, to bless your name and to proclaim that indeed your promises are true, your words are trustworthy, and that so people would, would see you and, and be attracted to you. Use our lives, O God, so that we may be light unto the nations, light in the community, salt. May we be salt and light in the places where you have called us in. Thank you, O Lord, for this opportunity to serve you and experience the blessing of your salvation. May you find us faithful, O God. Thank you, O Lord. Thank you for the beautiful message of Romans that you have given us through the Apostle Paul. Help us to take this to heart. May we live life that is humble, that is hopeful, and that is uh, worshipful, O God, for you and you alone. Lord, we commit to you the rest of our time. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And as you bow your heads, let me give you this benediction. May our faithful Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord show you his favor. May he, may he give you his mercy and peace. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen and amen. Thank you once more for joining us. May God bless us all with this word. See you again next time.